from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is The Good Atheist. Welcome to the Good Atheist Podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Welcome to episode 117. It's a mailbag episode. So I apologize for being a little bit late, but as it turns out, it's kind of hard to get people to ask questions. So we we needed to let it simmer a little bit. It's the realization of how much time do you need before a mailbag? A day and a half. It's like that's the amount of time that it takes for people to go to the site and actually check it out. But we got some good ones. I'm pretty happy with the stock of questions that we got. Next time we'll we'll make it uh, nice and early and we'll do one of those mammoth like 30 question 2 hour behemoths. Yeah, extravaganza. Maybe we'll do that for like episode 2 uh you know like the unofficial 200th episode where that's the total amount of things we've recorded. <laughs> and uh, we say, well, it's the unofficial 200th, so to celebrate massive question time. And I'm sure by then there'll be plenty of questions. No, I mean we um, we've we've done them in the past. If you, if uh, the whole thing was this this was up for what six hours before we we put the cutoff down. Well, people continued to ask questions after the, after the cutoff, luckily. But yeah, it, it wasn't a long period of time. Like the questions started coming in fairly uh, well. But the the tough the tough thing is that everyone who listens to the show is all over the fucking world. That's the crazy thing, you know. When you look at the map. And all the countries that dot, you know, that that the that, that, that dot the landscape that listen to the damn show, you're like, wow. The one thing that's consistent is that everyone is everywhere. It's crazy. Mm. So uh, six hours is uh, is hard to get a hold of everybody. It's like, hey, what's going on, everybody? Now some people are still asleep when some important things are happening on one side of the world. You're just like, they're asleep, man. That's and, how it is. And some people are still at work, and you know that nobody at work checks personal web pages. Ever. Never. Never. I don't ever. even imagine that ever happens. I had thought to myself, you know what? Maybe of putting a button on Good Atheist, you could press to make it look like it was an Excel. Uh, spreadsheet. You ever see those? Those yeah, are yeah, brilliant. I've, I've seen them. I love those. Mm-hmm. They're smart. You need those as a site. You need it because you're you you, you recognize that your very readers are cheats. <laughs> We're all cheats. I, I you know for all the advances that the internet has brought us, I'm sure it, it's worked out about even uh, because we waste so much time on the internet. For all of the advantages it gives us in time, it takes them away in time wasting. Well, we we're a very distracted society in general. We are. I mean, our job, how distracting is, is is our job just because it is all on the Internet, the mother of all distractions? Yeah, it's, uh, and plus it's so, so questionable. We, there, there's no, there's no manual on how to do this, so it's just kind of do what you feel is best, and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, you're left to your monkey devices, you know? I'm, I wonder what my brain's going to want to do. Oh, I don't know, surf porn all day. That's the first thing that uh, probably happens. Uh, you you have to get to a point where you just get so sick of it that you can finally move on. The pleasures of porn will disappear, and then you'll be able to get to work. But li- left to your own devices. I've never been a big porn surfer. No? Strangely enough, no. It's like I go straight to the source, be it like some kind of downloadable torrent type thing, and just get all my porn, and I just get it all in one big shot, like 30 gigs of it. And then for the next three to six months, uh, 
You're good? I'm good. It's like a new and exciting grab bag. Exactly. You have something to look forward to when you go to sleep. Exactly. Like, what's, what's new on the agenda of Pornitude that I've managed oh, to find for myself? Big slutty monkey. Big wet pregnant ass is seven. <laughs> <laughs> we do not share the same taste in porn. Uh... Before we start the mailbag episode, there's a couple things that we've got to, I guess, uh, clarify. Uh, still lots of confusion about what's going on with the switchover. Uh, there's a significant portion of uh, people who are uh, paying members have probably not realized that they need to go to the site and uh, they need to log in. Remember your original login? Yeah, you, that still works. You need to log in. And a couple of you that are paying members are going to find that um, you're probably in silver membership, which is the free one. That's just because when we did the switch over, we had to manually change everybody and update, and we fucked up. You know, like uh, when you're trying to change hundreds of memberships, you fuck up a couple. So any of you out there who are like, hey, I'm supposed to be a, a gold member, just let me know. Uh, send me an email. I'll, I'll take care of it like lickety split. It's actually pretty easy for me. So I just need you guys to communicate with me that are bonus members because you got to go to the site to get the show's Right now. To get the new feed, or is the new feed still not quite finished? The new feed's not quite finished. Right now, if you want to listen to the bonus show and the one that's going to come after this one, you do have to go to the site. Things are not done, everybody, but at the same time, this kind of allows you to just find out if you've got the right membership or not. So that if we can clear that from the get-go, and plus you can see what the new design is like, if you've been... If you've neglected to and, go, and just to be clear, silver membership just means you have a login, it, and you occasionally get stuff. Gold is gold is the main one. Yeah, gold That's is where you, you get a show every week, and then platinum is where you give us more money and get the same stuff that you would get as a gold no, no, member. You're going to get more stuff, you fool. <laughs> you know that we're planning on releasing stuff, and plus, I'm going to be uh, giving out shirts for people who are platinum members. It's not right away, obviously. It's after a few months, but kind of like a thank you. So once we start printing more shirts, you guys are going to get uh, you guys are going to get those. And and obviously, I'm uh, it, it's going to be giving over the uh, maybe the shirts that don't do well. But you just got to deal with that. <laughs> you, you make it sound so great. Let's get to this mailbag. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's get to it because we're awful sales people. Okay, Isaac asks. I have recently created my own podcast, though we are still in our early days and we suck. What advice do you have for novice podcasters, and how do we evolve past the boring, we don't know shit stage, which you experienced yourself in your early days? <laughs> Man, you don't even know how boring it is until you have to edit your own stuff. Because I've been going back, working on the book, which is partially a retrospecticus. It's the companion. It's the companion, Companion right? to the radio show. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not going to ignore those first shows like they didn't happen. you got to deal with those. That's the tough part about doing anything when you're amateur, eh? Fuck. It's hard because you know that you're terrible. You're just like, oh, why do I keep doing this? It's awful. It'll never get better. <laughs> yeah, it, it took us about, I would say, 20 to 30 episodes before we started getting halfway near listenable. Yeah, I think most people will say that we, we started getting good at 60. And as far as if you want to, uh, and, and don't don't feel too down on that, you know that's uh, it got us it got us to a pretty high point at sixty. Like, and you can you can usually speed things up by drinking beer before you do your podcast, like three to six, depending on your. your at the your beginning, liver. you're you're gonna you're gonna probably need to find some kind of drug. And do that during the show so you can even forget what you said because it was probably retarded. Well, just to forget that the, you have a microphone in front of your face and you're trying to do it for, you know, however many listeners out there. Once you, once you get rid of that, it gets pretty snappy and then it's just like having a conversation. And that point, make sure you have a 
co-host that you can have a good conversation with. Well, that was one of the that was the advice that I had sent in lots of other podcasts where people ask questions like, "What do you recommend?" I'm like, "Recommend a friend that you really like and do it with them." Because if you try to do it alone or it's with hard. somebody that you don't have the right chemistry with, it yeah, it's brutal if you don't have the right chemistry. You know, you're just interrupting each other or you're fucking doing that whole. Eh, uh, 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 oh, that's death, man. That's fucking podcasting death. Uh, also, what I probably recommend, and I say this to everybody, is just get yourself some decent uh, microphones. Okay, don't we? We tried at the beginning huddling over this uh, one in the basement. It was uncomfortable, and uh, it, 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 it contributed to a large degree to the, the poor sound quality of the early versions. And not just the poor sound quality, but the but the you know, as we said, there's a lot of time where you feel like you're not doing the best job that you potentially could be doing, and you're unhappy with your product. And having a tiny microphone that you have to basically kneel over for an hour, sweating with your back break, back hurting. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it just, just having a good setup makes all the difference. Yeah, nothing reminds you of what you're doing like pain. You know what I mean? <laughs> Anybody with repeated stress injury knows exactly what I'm talking about. The pain is the uh, heightened awareness you have about how terrible things are. So try to be comfortable, and you won't even care that the beginning shows are terrible. You won't even give a shit. But, uh, and, and, and I guess the final, the last piece of advice is really you have to stick with it. That's going to be the hardest thing for you to do. It's the hardest thing for everybody to do. It's the hardest thing I ever had to do in my fucking life was stick with this. So it's hard. Yep. You got to stick with it and you got to be relatively consistent. There you go. All right. Next question. Anonymous asks, should should unsuccessful atheists stay in the closet? Assuming that an atheist is unsuccessful in life, should that person refrain from being outspoken about his or her atheism? If that is a good approach, and I agree that it is, then what should the less than successful, happy, depressed uh, the the less than successful, unhappy, and depressed atheist do should he keep his atheism to himself? Well, basically, the uh, anonymous had been uh, was using this example of saying, well, um, if if someone is successful and they can show, hey, we're a successful atheist and we live happily, then uh, it it goes to show that atheism is a successful. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say belief, but it's a successful thought strategy. Can we just call it a thought strategy, a belief strategy? Mm-hmm. Of just saying, well, we, we, when weighed in the evidence and being consistent with objective reality, the decision that there is no God is seems to be the correct one, and it it offers no negative consequences. Is is sort of like this question that he's asked himself: Should the really shitty atheist, the nihilist, the depressed ones, shut the fuck up because you're kind of giving us a bad name? I think I, I think that's a nice summary of what the question is, and uh. Uh, and I would say no. <laughs> I would say absolutely not. Uh, you can't anyways you couldn't if you tried i mean there's any time there's going to be any atheist that does anything bad uh you're going to hear about it just because you're the new favorite whipping boy everybody that's if if they have to pick a minority and say these guys suck they'll pick an atheist because you're not a group really no one can be accused of uh, being a bigot if they make fun of someone who doesn't believe in something uh so you're the new whipping boy you got to get used to that with that said, I mean, I, I think it's important for us to cover the fact that if it's true that atheists are, say, on average less happy than their religious counterparts, uh, I still think that it's kind of important for us to say, yeah, the reason why it's the truth is because it's unpopular and it doesn't feel as good than if you're just wishing for shit. No, wishing for shit is the happier alternative. However, it is not the truth. 
I just think that we have to get over this idea that somehow everything needs to be hunky-dory for people to fucking believe in. You know what I mean? I feel like we have to get over the idea that certain atheists aren't allowed to have a voice in atheism. And this is a big one, because let me tell you what. Every single time I tell people what my other job is, which is running a website about ultimate fighting, you should, you should see the looks that we get. It's, uh, it, it's, it's like, oh, and you, you think that you can speak on something as deep and important as atheism? That's ridiculous. All I'm saying is that God is bullshit. And I could say that if I was shoveling shit <laughs> and be more <laughs> right than the geniuses out there who say otherwise. It's just a factual position. Don't be afraid to fucking stand on it and say what you want to say, no matter what you do. You or really no matter don't what your place in life is. Yeah, you really don't have to be a fucking genius. Or, or I'll rephrase that, because I think that we have this weird concept, too, of who is considered smart and who is considered stupid. Right? We, we have set up a system, an educational system, that essentially determines that merely from the fact that if people who go along with it uh, get the reward of society saying, you are now smart. Uh, and it's convinced a lot of brilliant people who don't go through these, this, this type of, of rigmarole that they are not smart, that they are stupid. And I'm like, no, there, there are plenty of very educated people that are dumb. I mean, Ben Stein is a perfect example of a man who is highly educated and is an idiot. He, he really believes in intelligent design. It's retarded. Anybody with that degree of education should be able to see the writing on the wall, but he is unable to because he lacks certain fundamental properties of intelligence well, that he, sh shit shovelers possess. He's uh, he's dogmatic, and that's the key thing. Just don't be. I say it a lot. Just don't be dogmatic. Don't don't. All your beliefs should be malleable to reality. That's the important thing. <laughs> they need to conform to reality. Not reality doesn't have to conform to your beliefs. That's that's the funny thing. That's the that's the great thing about science. And when you talk about what is science, what's so great about science? And it's just that well, when whatever theory that you have about things, not when it doesn't work, then everybody goes it's wrong. And it doesn't matter how nice the theory is, how beautiful it sounded, whatever who said who the fuck said it doesn't matter it just matters that it works or not and you just have to live with uh, that reality that's the that's the reality okay john asks after going through the back episodes of the bonus show and hearing about jacob's encounters with jehovah's witnesses i've decided to open up the door and invite them in when they come knocking Very nice. do you have any advice general or specific for dealing with them i think the last time i tried i threw up too many roadblocks too quick and scared them off. I realize I'm very unlikely de to deconvert them with anything I say, but if I could say something that would give them a little pause and start to ask themselves questions, I'd consider that a, a victory. Well, you know that normally when I debate uh, Jehovah Witnesses, uh, I take a really different approach than I do on the radio show. You know, for, to some degree, the radio show is a bit of a personality. Uh, it's 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 the more vitriolic part of well, me. Well, we're we're trying to keep people from falling asleep. Yeah, we're trying here. to keep you entertained for fuck's sakes. I'm not going to start being uh, accommodationist to you, motherfuckers. Like we all know what you guys believe. I don't have to fucking tippy toe around saying that oh, religion is stupid. No, I don't have to tippy toe around that. I think we all come to that conclusion. Uh, but with that said, whenever I sit down with a Jehovah Witness, I'm I'm more cautious. Really, what I want them to understand is. I will, in a very civil matter, tell them exactly why I don't believe what, I, uh, what they believe. And I'm also going to try, as I sit down with them, to come to a general understanding of where their beliefs originate from. If you start from that first part, 
to try to identify where the belief originates from, I think this is, a, this is the best place to start with. Because you're asking the person to talk about what they believe, and everybody loves that. But you have to do it in a controlled manner, all right? Because otherwise, they're just going to start spewing what the, 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 standard crap. the standard crap that they have, uh, that they've been taught to say. You want to work off script. This is a huge and probably the most important aspect of talking with them is that you have to go off script. So the thing that I normally tend to ask is what is the major reason why you believe in what you believe in? And the reason I ask this is because when they answer that question, you can make certain determinations about the, fu the, the fundamental principle, the construct of that belief. And once you understand the construct, that's when you can start debating by essentially poking holes at that construct. Demonstrating that construct is usually uh, more of an emotional uh, construct than really a logical one. It's built on an emotional foundation. That's where you find a lot of or most religious belief really comes from. It's why the people will always say, I feel like this, because it really is an emotion. It's not a, the intellectualization is the secondary phenomenon. The first phenomenon is, is emotional. Even in every decision that you make, by the way, that's true. You don't make decisions rationally. You make decisions emotionally and you rationalize them. So once you understand that the rationalization itself is not important, what is important is the emotional decision that was made. Once you understand the emotional decision, this is the part that you, you, be, you begin to uncover uh, facts about the person's belief. You can understand how they rationalize the rest based on that one emotion. So I think, I think if you take that, I, I don't want to get into too much of the specifics of how that works. I think you, you can kind of get to understand, oh yeah, I, I can see that. I, the, the most important thing that you can do when you talk to these people is to try to empathize the way that they see the world. Because you have to communicate with them on that level. They're not talking on the same level that you're talking to. You've, you've, you're talking on the level where you've decided from the get-go that the emotional reasons for belief are to be distrusted. And that's the better, um, that's the better thought. That's, that's the more accurate thought, the one that corresponds with reality. Is that it's, reality is not based on your emotions. They don't matter. Yeah, and I also find if you start talking about, you've got, you've got to talk to them on a, on a religious on a re on a religious level, you're not you can't talk about your atheism so much as you have to talk about their religion. Yeah, you have to. You really that's the tough part too, because a couple times I I put my um my foot in my mouth by saying certain things that uh, I thought I assumed they believe, which they didn't. And uh, when whenever you do that, you you obviously what happens is that you start to lose credibility. They gain a kind of a, a, almost an emotional currency of saying like, aha, he doesn't really know this part, so he doesn't know everything. And ergo, I can kind of defeat him and I don't have to listen to anything else he says. They will jump on those opportunities because those are emotionally gratifying to them. So you have to be able to make sure that you're not, you, you, you can't fall into their trap at the same time. You're still talking within the context of what they believe in. But my, my advice is usually to talk one level over. Like if you're really trying to debate specific parts of the Bible, you're wasting your time. Um, what you can talk about, and this is usually what my strategy is, is to talk about the interpretation of those things. This is where everybody, this is where the foundational breakdown occurs, where everybody who thinks they, they agree on the dogma don't actually agree. Uh, you, you just have to get to the specifics, the way that they interpret it, because once you really boil that down, you, re, you realize that no two people interpret their religion exactly the same way. It's impossible. They will have differences. And this is, this is the kind of thing where uh, religion is its own enemy, because differences and interpretations are poison 
in a religion because now what what happens is that everybody decides oh I'm going to make these changes or or the dogma is is, is no longer uh, true and and now the whatever the foundation developed say the churches whose primary goal is your money <laughs> once these institutions lose control of the dogma they lose they really lose control over everybody so um, you can expose their interpretations or you can even expose the fact that many of their interpretations conflict with with just uh, their own feelings their 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 own their own attitudes you just have to empathize with them that's the most important part okay moving on happy heretic asks two questions number one can you tell us a little bit about your own personal journey to atheism uh, were you always an atheist? Did you come out of a religion? What events, books, people, thoughts led to you to reason, and how did you get inspired to do this podcast? Well, let me ask you this. You've known me for a long time. Um, what, 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 how religious was I? You know what I mean? Like, how, was, there any, was there ever any conversation, apart from sort of the, the, the point where I started really being hardcore, this fucking sucks, was there any point that we had religious discussions? Mm, no, not really. I, I don't think that it played much of, much of a role in my life, like, at all. And, and it was true for most of our group of friends. Like, that's how we were. Just religion, it just, it would, it seemed, seemed weird when a person was religious. You know what I mean? That was the weird thing. Yeah, when you ran into, when, when you ran into somebody who was hard into it, that would bring it up or talk about their religious feelings or something. That was the strange thing. Yeah, we were non, basically this group, the, the group of friends that I had were best understood as non-theists. And I know there's lots of people that are exactly in the same position that I am, where everybody in their group of friends never really talks about religion because it doesn't matter to you. You know, you, there's other shit going on. And because it was never made a big deal, it, it isn't a big deal. It's what you would expect the world to be like if religion wasn't actually a problem. <laughs> if everybody kept their religion to themselves like they probably should as a personal thing. Right, but that doesn't happen. So we, we, we came from essentially that background. But I do remember that at, at one point I was just watching some documentaries online and I, and I watched um, uh, God Who Wasn't There by Brian Fleming. And uh, and it really kind of got me into the whole scene. I started reading also uh, stuff from the James Randi Foundation, and and the big thing that probably pushed me over the edge was listening nonstop to season one, two, and three of Penn and Teller's bullshit. I had those memorized. I think if you listen to some of the early shows, I sound like I probably parrot them. Uh, and and they really kind of inspired me to be the kind of atheist that I am today. You know, Penn Jillette had a huge influence on the development of Good Atheist. But it, 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 for me, it really ended at, at, at bullshit because there was also lots of things that I completely and utterly disagree with him on where I'm like, you call bullshit, I call your bullshit. <laughs> bullshit on your bullshit. Bullshit on your bullshit. But this is the kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that it, Penn would be the kind of person that if you had a debate about it, it wouldn't be one of dogma. It would be one of discussion. And, and you know, ultimately, that's, that's where you want to be. You know, that's that's where I wanted to be. So when I started really kind of getting a little bit more uh, into it, I started to try to drag some of my friends into it because <laughs> all my friends were non-theist. It didn't fucking matter. Right. It just it only recently is by finally being able to, to 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 get them to think that it matters. But even that is probably not credit to me. It's probably a credit to the fact that it really is just becoming an issue for everyone else, where it didn't seem like it was one like 20 years ago for, 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 for all of us. It just it, it, it never seemed to play a factor. Well, I understand, because to me, 
my hardening as an atheist, because I've always been one. I never believed in God ever, even when I was just a little kid. Loved the Bible stories because they were entertaining, and the Bible was full of sex. <laughs> so you want to keep a secret? Don't tell my mom. Sure. I once whacked off to the Bible. You shut your mouth. I did. Well, like what? The Songs of Solomon? No, no. I, I can't remember what part it was. Was it the King James? It, yeah, it was. It was. It was some of the Old Testament stuff. Wow. Yeah, I know. Story of Lot, maybe, you sick bastard. I don't know. It's weird. Anyways, <laughs> uh, where was I going with this? Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, mo moving forward, what really started to harden me and make me a more active atheist was just reading more and more about the problems that religion caused on the Internet. And, you know, before, where would you hear this stuff? Do you ever really hear anything about atheists and mainstream news? And you, you don't. The Internet is where we have all been allowed to flourish and where we're able to share information and, and really come to a proper understanding of how bad religion is based on thousands and thousands of stories so many no no thousands are just that's the beginning so that everyone has a story that's where i kind of went from because I, I i've always been i i consider myself to be the less hardcore one and i'm always trying to keep everything more even keeled and, and and more understanding towards religion and everything else because i have many religious friends and family and people that i respect that believe um but uh, but yeah, the, you know the reality is it's religion isn't always good news. <laughs> Ready to keep going? Uh, what was the um, what was the Happy Heretics next qu next question? How do you convince people that personal experience is not a valid form of evidence without it coming across as dismissive or uh, of very personal and often intense moments of our lives? For example, I have a woman who claimed to know that reincarnation is true because of an out of body experienced experience that she had or the common I felt Jesus in my heart excuse obviously there are people who have experienced something very real to them but when you say that personal experience is anecdotal it is almost as though I'm saying that one's personal experience means nothing well um, I, I had just I just finished doing an interview with uh, Roger Nygaard for the nature of existence and we actually had uh, a, a kind of a conversation about this as well which will be featured in the bonus uh, material uh, one of the things that we that we were discussing was just how because uh, I, I had I had asked them why did you go to all these places all these exotic places um, to experience what individuals had to say because I said we know that a personal experience doesn't really mean that a person will have understood the situation better would you have understood the collapse of the Roman Empire better if you were there or would it have seemed more confusing to you. Because now you are in the midst of all of this other stuff that's going on. See, I, I think for, for when we talk about experience, what people need to understand is that experience doesn't give you the type of wisdom um, that you need to understand the experience. The experience is confusing. It's, uh, and, it, and it's going to be inaccurate. Your memory is, is, is not a foolproof mechanism. You're going to remember certain things in particular ways and you'll have your biases. It's not even close to foolproof. How many times have you thought about a story that, that you that you remember as yourself being the central character of and then find out or remember later or someone tells you when you realize it wasn't me, it was that other person? Oh man, so often. <laughs> and, and you know it's often because when, when we share stories with friends uh, those stories can change and morph into other things, you know, morph into legends that we start to believe, even though the situation was vastly different. The, the, the point is, if experience was the best way to learn something, uh, it, you know, it would also mean that instinct is, is a foolproof mechanism that never goes wrong. And I think that any time you've ever jumped for no reason, freaked out and thought someone was in the house or panicked the thousands and thousands of times where no panic was necessary... 
you'll only really remember that one time where it was, and you'll be completely amazed at how awesome your instincts are. You're just like, wow, I couldn't believe how good my instincts were at that moment. You're like, what about all the other moments where you fucking spazzed out and dropped the fucking milk, you weird monkey? Or the time where the fucking car took off and you, uh, weirdly with a bang, and then all of a sudden you just jumped in the bale of snow because you thought, like, oh my god, there's uh, somebody shooting. You know, your instinct is not that good, and and your mind, the conscious mind that sort of tries to take experiences and extract some kind of useful information out of it, is a monkey brain. Like, how really reliable is that? Your brain will lie to you many times. And, and, and it's going to be, I don't really have that much advice to tell you how to, how to get somebody to discount it, because it is damn hard. Um, but, you know, one, one way to kind of try and explain it to them maybe is, uh, is talk to them about drugs and say, oh, you felt really a, a full of intense love in your heart. And everything was great. It's like, well, I know a lot of people on ecstasy who feel the same way. Or, oh, I had a crazy out-of-body experience. You know, same thing. Eat some mushrooms and you'll see it. Do some acid and your brain will completely lie to you about everything that's going on. It will invent people who will talk to you as if they were, got, as if they were in the room with you there. And then at that point, you realize that your brain can lie to you. I mean, every single night when you dream, it puts on a ridiculous picture it show for lie. you. Your dream is a lie. So, uh, for people who, who just can't understand the power of the brain and its ability to, dece to deceive you, uh, I don't know what to tell them, but, uh, you know, if, if you spike them with drugs, then maybe they'll have a better understanding of how can, can everything's have, just chemicals. Can I have just maybe another suggestion, Mr. Spike their drinks and fucking well, I, end okay, up being I, I in, going to prison? I don't advise anybody do that, but I'm just saying. How about something simpler like teach them uh, or, or learn a magic trick? I find that there is no better way to dispel the thought of miracles than to try to perform one yourself and then show exactly how it's done. Uh, magicians, conjurers, illusionists, they'll tell you the same thing, that uh, once you really kind of reveal the trick, people will, um, will tend to, you know, at least for a moment, be less susceptible to a similar kind of trick. You realize that you were tricked. You can see how it happens and you really start looking at things from a perspective of well how would I do it if I was trying to trick somebody maybe that's the question we don't really ask ourselves enough you know what would it take for my brain to lie to me uh, maybe that's the question you can ask that person what would it take for your for their brains to have lied to them and told them that what they experienced was something that was in line already with their with their views when in reality something much more confusing was happening but you didn't have the context to understand that. Instead, what you had was a pre-existing framework from which to rely on. And that's what you drew from. You drew from experience and you drew from just the, the way that your brain is hardwired. So experience is, uh, is really not that great of a teacher. Sorry. Okay, Roger asks, Jake mentioned some on-the-road type project coming in 2011. More details, please. Okay, I suppose... I suppose a mailbag is, a, is as good a place to, to say, although I'll probably have to repeat a few times. Um, I'm moving away from Montreal, Canada. Montreal, Canada. I'm moving away, a.k.a. Snowland. Snowland. I'm moving away from Snowland. Um, but Ryan is staying put. This is his house. He is staying in his house, and I am on the road. That means that nothing really fundamentally changes in terms of the way that any of the things that you listen to or read are absorbed. What it changes is my physical location. And I'm going to be a bit more of a vagabond for a little while. I kind of want to give the travel thing a bit of a shot. But more than that, 
is uh, I want to start being I want to start trying to do uh, lectures and conferences and really not having any physical address that I'm uh, consigned to. You want to do the Julian Assange thing and and travel the lands, uh, having sex by surprise. No, I'm not going to have <laughs> sex by surprise. <laughs> so um, it, essentially, what will happen is that when, whenever I'm in a new uh, town or city, I'm going to try to organize small events, see, see if I can get uh, connected with more fans, see if I can get uh, fans at universities and and other places to uh, to book me. Uh, for lectures and stuff like that if I come to town. So I, I, I get to, you know, do a little bit more physically to spread the word. Because the Internet is great and all, and it's, uh, but it's limited. You, you have to exist out there in physical space. I have to go out of my shell. This is not the place where, uh, you know, great things are happening in atheism. I've got to be on the move. Uh, interestingly enough, I'll also probably be doing some more uh, stuff out in real life as well. We're actually meeting up tomorrow with some guys from the Center for Inquiry in Montreal, and we're talking about how we can do shows and and events that would be of interest to atheists everywhere. And and part of the general goal of that is to get to the point where we'll do something cross Canada, where we take a show on the road. So that's another element of what's going on. Right. So um, we're still we're still very much in that whole growth phase trying to define exactly what's what's happening i mean you guys have seen the changes and we're continuing to change we have to i mean whatever we're doing now is not sufficient uh but i think that we are working towards making it uh, sufficient and more so than that like we we really do want to go out there and reach new uh, atheists, like let's really we we want to sexify the movement. We want to. We also want to, you know, take all those non-theists and turn them into hardcore atheists. We know we can do it. <laughs> they're all they're all sitting on the fence. They just need to get pushed. Yeah, they're just waiting for it. They just waiting for it. Okay, Raiden asks, "Hey guys, I'm going to ask you two questions. I hope you don't mind. First, I wanted to know what you think about the difference between the U.S. and Canada in terms of religiosity, if you will, and why is there a difference." Secondly, is there a Bible Belt equivalent in Canada? So the question is why is the first question is what, what's the difference between the religiosity in, in U.S. and Canada? And I'd say even though here, here here's the thing, you guys have a lot more fundamentalists uh, in America than we do in Canada. In Canada, remember I was talking about the idea of religion as a as a personal thing, and even politics as a personal thing. If you go out and hang out with friends, uh, you know. Sure, there are people who are very much into politics who will talk politics, but for the average Canadian, you don't talk about your politics, you don't talk about your religion, and uh, everybody just gets along on those levels. Because we, being a conservative in Ontario is not the same as being a conservative in the States. The conservatives in Canada are like the liberals in America. <laughs> That's pretty much what they are, yeah. So there's not much of a difference there, and with religion, we just don't get into it enough. There's not enough, you know... Uh, we've we've got Protestants and Catholics and a couple other uh, of the others, and it's just it it never gets too heated. Well, look at his second question. The second question is second: Is there a Bible Belt equivalent in Canada? And here's the here's the thing: Yes and no. The the religious situation in Canada is very very confusing. All right, it doesn't actually make sense if you look at the numbers. I'll give you I'll give you a classic example here in Quebec, which is considered to have. Um, which on paper has as many apparently non-theists as Alberta does, and which has overwhelmingly huge uh, apparent Roman Catholic believers, still uh, score 71% in terms of belief in evolution, and the, the churches are empty. 
Churches are empty around here. The confusing thing is that we over-report religiosity in Canada. That's the problem. We, it gets over-reported everywhere because if you're born a Christian, then you're going to go down on the census as a Christian until you know you, you feel strongly enough about your hatred of God to say, stop classifying me as this on a census that comes out every, what, five years? Well, I got bad news, actually. I don't know if it's in Canada, but I do know that a few countries... Uh, the churches have said that they will not take anyone off that list, so you can't be taken off. <laughs> they will still count you. They'll count you, even if you say, I'm not a believer, and they're the ones that uh, hand out that sense of shit. So, too bad, too sad. That's why, remember there was one, uh, one, one uh, fan asked me, should I baptize my kids? I'm like, don't even give them the number. Because then you're a Catholic for life, apparently. Fuck that noise. Don't show up. Don't give them any information about you or your kids. But yeah, the, the, the Bible Belt situation is kind of confusing. There's a, there's a Bible Belt in the East, and there is kind of one in the West. But also, interestingly enough, in the West is the higher percentage of non-believers. Yeah, BC is like a is like a hotbed of atheism, but it's also a hotbed of... Uh, like That's where you get some of the crazier, more hardcore Christian groups. Well, a lot of them are also affiliated with uh, fundamentalist Mormons from um, America that migrated up, uh, you know, north. So we got we got our fundies in uh, in Vancouver uh, and parts of Alberta, I think, as well. But uh, I think the reason why it's such a big deal in Calgary, and the reason why, in terms of in terms of the amount of fans that listen to the show, overwhelmingly live in Calgary, is just because it's more important there, because although the numbers of religious people may not be as high as, let's say, in Ontario, their pull, their influence, is because they have strong affiliations with their American counterparts. So uh, the religiosity of the U.S. still influences the religiosity of Canada. We're almost a fiat fucking country in that way. Uh, and, and it's not uncommon that, uh, you know, uh, many of these evangelical groups get funding from American evangelical groups because... Canadians also don't tend to go to church and don't tend to tithe as much. And uh, generally speaking, even the religious ones are bullshit. They're bullshit. They claim to be religious, but they don't give one dime to the church. <laughs> so that's the kind of state of religion in Canada. It's very confusing. Like, if you read the wiki on religion in Canada, you won't understand anything. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, statistically, it's interesting because other than, like, the eastern provinces, all of those, like, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and everything, which are which are the highest at, like, 85 to 90 percent, Quebec is right under them at 80 percent. Let me tell you what, it really doesn't feel religious yeah. around here. It really, really doesn't. After the 1960s and the Quiet Revolution, they kicked the church out of everything, and Quebec has always been the first to adopt things like abortion, gay marriage, uh, this is not what you would expect a predominantly Roman ca uh, Catholic uh, area to, to vote on. And you're like, that's because religion is no longer, it was kicked out hardcore. The intellectuals and stuff like that, they just said no, no to the church. Hmm. Okay, moving on. Linda Mansmith asks, uh, actually, she's replying to somebody else. Andy no, Scott. Andy, Andy. Andy asks, as a Scott living in Turkey, I noticed that for the most part, there is a separation of mosque and state. How long, if ever, do you think it will take for the rest of this part of the world to follow Turkey's example and stop whipping women for wearing trousers, uh, hanging them for blasphemy, stoning them to death for adultery, all in accordance with Sharia law? Okay, well, the problem is Turkey is a bit of a unique example in history, all right? You have to understand if Tur uh, 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 that Turkey was the remnant uh, of the Ottoman Empire, and there was a strong nationalistic movement that developed after the First World War to essentially create a, a, a state, but it was created under a nationalistic 
um, ideology and not a religious one. And in order to try to compensate for the, you know, the Western powers that were developing as secular nations, they took kind of that as saying, this is how we need to modernize. So they, they worked hard, and I mean hard, to push religion out of its, uh, out of its way, which is formally being the power. Now, the, the, the problem, of course, is that this created like just like a, 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 a mad situation where uh, temples had to be closed and, and all these buildings had to be seized. All of these rules had to be implemented. You know that in Turkey, you can't wear a hijab in a government building or in a university. You know, a thing that is being debated or was, was sort of like, you know, people were going apeshit in France because they were trying to ban that. It's been banned in Turkey uh, since, uh, you know, since they did the whole reform thing. Yeah, but keep in mind that I'm pretty sure Turkey didn't, didn't put any of these uh, secular things into place via just asking nicely. They, they used a bunch of oppressive laws to push this through. That's essentially what they did. And, and, and that's what you have to understand, that in order for other countries to go w through what Turkey did, uh, can, you really f can you imagine? I mean, you just can't do it the old style anymore. The eye... The, the of the public is on you. If you decide, well, we're going to just uh, shut all these guys down, we're just going to fucking crush them, we're going to jail some of them, we're probably going to have to torture uh, a few of them because that's just the way that things are. Over that's there. just the way they roll. Well, everybody over there, would, not everybody a, would, every, Yeah, it's everywhere. Everybody would flip out. Well, and, and when you look at Turkey, you're just like, well, Turkey is, uh, is a lot like America in, a, in, in, in the way that it's secular. You know, where everybody admits that it's an Islamic state, kind of the same way that they say this is a Christian state. And in the recent years, um, because of dissatisfaction in regards to the economy and, uh, you know, bureaucracy, uh, the religious right has used that opportunity to gain political power. Does this sound familiar to you? This is just the, exactly the same thing. I mean, when you have an overly predominantly religious nation, you toy around with the, the idea of, of, of secularization, but you never really are truly secular. You, you have to push back against that shit. And while you may have strong nationalists that push for it, honestly, when those nationalists disappear, um, the religious usually take over again. That's just what they've always been good at. They're just like, well, we have all the political power, and now that you're no longer standing in our way, like in Turkey, as a religion, you can't have a political party. But members of your, you know, the politicians themselves can be affiliated with a particular uh, religion and probably mosque and are heavily influenced. Just, how, does this not sound familiar? <laughs> and guess what? Turkey and America have the exact same or almost exact same rate of belief in evolution. Is this another coincidence? No, I don't think so. This is just what happens in countries where you have uh, a lot of religiosity. It sucks. And people are retarded. That's just, and and you're, it's only by like the this thin concept of a nation do you even have the ability to suggest that you're secular when everything around it seems to suggest quite the opposite, quite the fucking opposite. And and watch Turkey as it changes, baby. Uh, you're it's it's gonna that whatever reality is there right now. Yeah, that will disappear. It's going to go back to the days where the Ottoman Empire were doing crazy shit like genociding the Christian Armenians. <laughs> That's where the word genocide comes from, by the way. It was the genocide of the Christian Armenians by the uh, Ottoman Empire. That's where the word comes from. 
Okay, uh, Nick asks, Hi Jake, how important do you think the fact we are all going to die is of causing people to believe absolute nonsense with no shred of evidence? I especially point towards the care taken not to offend God in case he puts you in hell. Um, you know what, here's the thing. There, it was recently the celebration of the, the 400th celebration of the King James Bible and Richard Dawkins wrote a thing about it because he's, he's, he's hardcore in poetry, right? He loves that shit. So he's like, oh, let's... You know, everybody's going to be uh, look, give me weird looks, but I think that we should celebrate it because he's like, I admire some of the poetry of the of the new uh, of, of the new and old testament as the King James version. It's always very amusing when when people go, call him a god hater and, and a religion hater. I mean, obviously he is, but at the same time, he has such a love for for because uh, he he went to all those stuffy British schools and he was raised in a very stuffy British way. So he's like. I love the poetry of the, the English language and the King James Bible in its purest form and its, and its wordsmithing. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. My point is that um, as much as we like to think that the fear of death is the reason why people believe, and I, I do actually think that it plays a significant portion of it, uh, the, the intellectual justification and even the emotional justification comes from more than just the fear of death. I think it also comes from a place of deep beauty that is still uh, that still religions are able to find. This is what they're actually really good at, and we underestimate that power. Where they say, um, you know, they'll they'll evoke beautiful imagery, or they'll take a certain um, beautiful poem and they'll adapt it um, with religion. And then you know, or or they have all these beautiful monuments, these beautiful uh, pieces of work. This is all emotional propaganda. But it's 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 successful propaganda. This, we all want to experience things that are beautiful, and if they're beautiful, we also usually assume that they're true, right? If something is so beautiful, it feels right. There's a weird kind of thing about aesthetic beauty. There, you just feel that something is more true when it's beautiful. It's the same reason why you're nicer to fucking attractive people than you are to uggos, all right? And you even assume that they're smarter, even though you're probably stupider. <laughs> you give them like two extra points. So that's just how you are. You know, beauty makes right. And I think we, we often underestimate the, the, the evo evocative beauty that some religions uh, are, 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 are able to convey. You know, like these, this, this striking uh, poetry, apparently, of, of ancient Arabic and, in the Quran. You know, they say that grown men would weep. And maybe there are some poems where that's true. You know, that it is really quite beautiful because they had a long history in that region of being excellent poets because they didn't have any writings. No writings. Everybody was just a great poet. So you take some of those great poems, you write them in, a, you fucking smack them in a book, and you end it all with "and God be praised." Then all of a sudden you'd be like, "Look at all the beauty of the Quran." <laughs> it's really the beauty of the tradition of the people. Um, but when that beauty is hijacked, now we have to contend against it. Now we have to argue against it. And that's hard, right? You're arguing against things that people find beautiful. So um, that's another emotional kind of response. So now you're dealing with two. You're dealing with the fact that people are afraid of death, but they also see this inherent beauty in what they read, and, and what they read tells them that they're going to heaven, and that also represents many of these beautiful aspects. So the fear of death combined with the fucking joy of heaven, that is a tough one-two fucking combination for you to break and say, hey, guess what? When you die, there's nothing. This is, your, this, this is why we're terrible salespeople. That's a bad sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hardcore heretic. I guess he is friends with the happy heretic. Oh, hold on, hold on. There's one that you forgot. Um, one from Mike. I put it on the uh, list. Uh, Jake, I'm a hardcore listener to TGA, and you helped me come out of my atheist closet. My family are hardcore Baptists who are really religious. 
My mom at first was understanding and accepting, but lately my mom has been uh, labeling stereotypes on me of atheism and has still been forcing me to continue to attend youth groups. Uh, it's disturbing how these people can make horrible statements with calm faces. Recently, uh, they have been catching uh, on that I'm an atheist. I know that I've spoken to you before, and I know it sounds stupid, but quite frankly, I'm scared, knowing little uh, ways to defend my views. Could you give me a guide to some of your tips, uh, or, or, or a guide or some tips? Your person, I believe, I can turn to for help. Uh, I, I wanted to mention that it was actually not on the site, but it was, it was a, a comment that was actually put by uh, a kid named Mike on my Facebook. Mm. And uh, at first, I wanted to I wanted to talk about it specifically because anybody that actually has gone through something similar, I want them to email me or leave comments into this podcast and to get in touch with Mike because the thing is, I can't give him great advice about what to do when you're an atheist and you have crazy religious parents. I don't know what that's like. I can't give good advice about that. My advice would actually probably be terrible. So if you guys have any good advice about the ways to deal with the parent question. I would appreciate you guys uh, emailing me or, uh, like I said, leaving a message in the comment so that I can just pass it on. And, uh, and, and someone can hopefully offer Mike some, some, some good fucking advice because I'm sure it sucks. Yeah, all, also I can offer as far as never having arguments with my parents about my religiosity, but definitely having them be disappointed in many of the things that I do. <laughs> Secretly um, disappointed. I can I can tell you that the best thing to do is to is to downplay the differences. You know, the, your relationship with your parents parents are, is much bigger than uh, just one topic and. and if you if you downplay it at every opportunity that you get, be the bigger man and don't bring it up or, or fight when it when it comes up, and just try to concentrate on those aspects of your relationship uh, where you do get along. Then maybe that will help somewhat. And try not to feel too too constantly depressed about you know their their anguish over your non-belief. But I do want to I do want to address the fact that he did sound uh, scared, especially of being kind of uh, you know lambasted with arguments to to make him question his own disbelief. Uh, and it's and you know it's it, it must also partially be scary as someone who is a Baptist because you're probably used to thinking that you're right, you know, to to, to thinking in absolute certainty. Well, the Baptists think they can also be born again, right? Maybe, maybe that's what they're angling for—is some kind of born again reconversion. Oh man, it's gonna be fucking awful. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that what you have to kind of understand is that when you're in this, when you're on this, playing on this side of the the fence, uh, the atheist fence, you have to really realize that there is so much we don't know. I can't tell you anything with absolute certainty. There are no absolute certainties. That's the fucked up thing about the world you live in, son. No goddamn certainties. Once you kind of abandon the need for uh, for certainties, you realize that once you admit that there are no, no certainties, then and and really that there is only uh, a good one effective process to understand that, and that's really the scientific method, the thing you apply most of your life, except for religion, for some fucking reason. Um, then you realize, okay, well, the things that we know describe the world that we live in, but they don't. It, it, these aren't the these aren't the rules as they are written. There are no rules. There's merely the understanding of the natural phenomenon that happens around you. Meanwhile, you're having conversations with people who have accepted some supernatural dogma. Trust me, there's not much that you can say in terms of an argument that, where you're going to feel like you win against these people. I mean, you might as well have an argument with someone about Dungeons and Dragons. 
All right? Uh, and if they know more about Dungeons and Dragons than you do, does that make the fact that whatever they fucking believe in is ridiculous and make believe any less true? I don't think it does, but it, it, it won't convince them. That's not a line of argument you're going to win with them. Uh, they've already flown over that deep end. They've already made the, the commitment to decide that they know everything there is to know. Very little you can do against these people. But I think that in a, in a way you should recognize that maybe that, maybe that fear comes really from the fact that uh, there are no certainties. You may be asking me, uh, can you help me defend my views? And, and really also partially asking me, can you make my views seem so steadfast and real that I, I kind of lose this, this fear I have that I might be wrong? I'm like, you, get, you have to keep that fear. It's got to be alive in you. <laughs> you've got to wonder if everything that you've ever thought might be wrong. But don't worry. No matter how hard you try or they try, you'll probably never find out that God's real. So I think you're on the right side for now. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably on the right side. So, uh, again, like I said, uh, any listeners out there, please send emails. Give us some insight on how, to, how to make it better. I mean, you know, a whole range and variety of, of parents from, from awesome and understanding to jackassy and, and just ready to send you away to some kind of Christian camp or something. That would be appreciated. Yeah, and, and while we can't answer all questions, what we can try to do is we can try to be a bit of the connectors, you know? In the, in the future, build uh, some kind of community around that. For now, we're just taking formal methods, but why the fuck not? I mean, it's better than nothing, so. All right, let's move on. Okay, Hardcore Heretic asks, what are your thoughts on public schools in Canada in regards to religion? I went to a Catholic school as a child, and since I'm an out atheist, I thought it'd be better to put my children in public school, but it isn't any better in regards to religion. Are there any laws regarding religion in public schools in Canada? Um, I'm not an expert in terms of the laws, in terms of uh, uh, public schools, because every province has their own, uh, you know, essentially their own rules about uh, the school. So it's not a Canada-wide uh, thing, you know. With that said, uh, we I went through two different uh, uh, school boards uh, in, in, in the province of Quebec. The first one was actually a religious school board because it was the only school in English that you were allowed to have in Quebec is, was one that was religious. Uh, and that's the one I went to because my parents wanted me to learn English rather than to be limited by only one language. Smart choice. Let me tell you <laughs> what. Knowing uh, ha Having a French girlfriend who's all of her friends back in backwoods Quebec can't speak English and cannot leave that tiny town they're from, it's bad news. Yeah, it feels probably pretty damn scary. So I went, I went to that school, and I remember that religion was part of the curriculum. Uh, they made me remember uh, and memorize the prayer, you know, Our Father who art in heaven. I used to know it all by heart. You had to. I used to know it by heart so well I'd be able to do it in like 10 seconds flat. That would make the teacher so angry. He'd say it with some respect. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways, there was that aspect. In public school, um, one that was... You know, secular. There was no religion uh, attached to my high school, which once you went to elementary school in English, you could go to high school in English, and that was no problem, and it didn't have to be religious. So in that one, we had uh, we had a, a kind of substitute for religious education, which was moral ed. So there there are alternatives. At least I know this in Quebec. There are, are there are alternatives to mandatory religious classes. But in my opinion. Even the religious schools in Canada are nowhere near religious enough that you even have to be worried at all about your kid getting brainwashed at all. It's such a small portion of everything. It, it, it's kind of almost a great... Remember we were talking about the Santa Claus test where it's like you raise your kid to believe in Santa Claus and see where he stops believing? Yeah, yeah. Public, the, 
honestly, the way, in, at least in Canada, that these religious schools are run, there's nothing you've got to worry about. It's uh, it's a pretty easy test for your kid, and uh, let let them at it and see how they do. It's not the battleground in terms of what what people are debating about in terms of, you know in terms of what gets taught in schools. This this is not the there there isn't that fight going on here, so it's it's not really the same. And, and thing. there's not a heck of a lot of bleed between, say, you know, MRI, which was moral and religious ed, uh, instruction. I don't know. And uh, and any of the other courses that 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 you see in other schools. I mean, uh, one of the big reasons that everybody freaks out so much about uh, madrasas and 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 Muslim schools is because there's barely any course that doesn't touch on. Uh, their religion, religion. It, it's all intertwined it's like an entire day built around religion using with various subjects mixed in yeah you go to science class and they tell you you can't mix salt water and fresh water yeah do the experiment in your science class oh there's no science going on you just read the Quran fantastic but yeah I wouldn't worry too much about uh, at least not in Canada okay Golden Arms asks why does the Pope have immunity from the law why isn't he subject to the same rules as everyone else that fucker belongs in prison for aiding and abetting child molesters. This is the weird thing about the Pope, and really just the institution of the Vatican, is that they're like a legal state, um, but it's, it's, it's like if you recognize the Roman Empire as still being uh, a state. And 170 of the UN countries recognize it as such, so the, the, the head of state is immune from prosecution from that part. But there's another weird loophole. Right, even if that wasn't true, because again, they're not an actual country; uh, they're only recognized, you know, by the UN as as being one, but they're not one. And and you could just at any time, the countries could decide, no, you're not really uh, anything at all. The Holy See is just ridiculous. You're an institution like anything else, and you're citizens of Italy. Uh, even if they decided to do that, there's another kind of workaround for the for the church. They could say, well, we're not a, we're not an institution like a business. Or like anything else, we we don't tell our employees what to do. They're not our employees. We're just, um, they address us when it comes to scriptural concerns and so on and so forth, and they pay their dues. And there's a really weird and complex uh, economy regarding that. But they can claim that they're not like any other organization where, you know, each diocese is really responsible for its own thing, and that's where they leave it at. So they they have this ultimate kind of, well, we're not. We didn't tell anyone what to do, uh, really, because we're not their boss. Even though I'm the vicar of Christ on earth, I'm not their technically their boss in any real legal way. This is how they can turn around. And the third reason is that because President George W. Bush gave immunity to the Pope uh, once the scandals of sex abuse scandals in Boston came out. It was just like right away. It's like boom, Pope's immune. So we'll never need to have that conversation. Pope is immune. So those are the reasons. Why he is still uh, the, the the pope and uh, and and not in jail, and why many of his cohorts are not in jail? Well, the big thing is that nobody has the balls to you know oh, nobody, make him answer no. questions or anything like that. So no one has the balls. What can you do? Okay, Finn asks: Is Gretchen Carlson from Fox News a robot? I don't think uh, even a, in uh, the, the most unrealistically looking human robot would still not be as ugly well, as you, whatever this monstrosity is. She might as well be a robot because she just says what she's programmed to say. Uh, there was a recently a, a leak from Fox News. It was in, it was uh, uh, I think it was the managing news editor for the channel sent out an email to everybody saying you're not allowed to talk about 
climate change is real, and any time you bring it up, you have to point out the fact that there's no proof that man is causing any of these crazy changes, and that the science is highly debated. So that was that was it's journalism, like, baby. Bam! That was a straight up thing from the top of the news network saying this is exactly what your views are going to be and how they will be expressed on this channel. So she might as well be a robot. They are essentially parroting robots. Okay. With no original thought. Uh, last one is Amber who asks. I'm wondering about the pro, uh, prospects of professional atheism. Is this a pipe dream, or could it be a feasible reality? I know you are still uh, in the fledgling stages, but if someone wants to make money from their non-belief, what avenues would you suggest? Uh, there's a question about starting podcast. Is that what you would recommend? So essentially, it's kind of like, can you be a professional atheist, Jacob? <laughs> Which is a good question, because this is something I'm trying to do myself. Yeah. And, uh, and my answer to that is, I fucking hope so. Uh, is it a pipe dream? Could be. Could be. I think the real problem, though, honestly, uh, and, and I've been having a conversation with a lot of other atheists who feel this way, too, is that we as a, as a group, we, 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 we need to have, uh, we, we need to give more money. I don't care where it is. It doesn't have to be to me. It could be to anybody else, but we just, we have to literally be more generous. We will never be able to have individuals that professionally profess non-belief for for that to be a, a suitable career and you may think to yourself why would anyone need that career if that's the fucking question you ask yourself i should slap you in the face we need these people we need someone to stand up against religious stupidity and unfortunately we have a tendency of you know because we're not religious and we don't really have this whole habit of tithing and none of this other kind of stuff we're just like oh that shouldn't be necessary things will take care of themselves it's like science. Science is not a thing that gets done by other people. Science gets done by you and me. We're the people that do it. If we don't do it, nobody does it. You ha it's a process that everyone needs to be involved in. So you can't just say, oh, I'm going to wash my hands and I did my part because I told my buddy that he should become an atheist. No, fuck off, man. You need to figure out some way to either get involved or to financially involve yourself. It's those two things, man. It's really going to get to the point where we have to have... Uh, as you know, we, we need we need resources. People need resources. We need to be able to have larger events. We need to be able to excite more people into this. Um, we need to have more ads uh, on buses, on fucking billboards. We you know we need to fight irrationality not just in our own countries but around the world as well. We need to set up fucking secular uh, societies and groups in other countries. Do you think that that's all going to get done by somebody else? That's my fucking question to you. Who's the, who the hell's going to do it? You and your money. That's how it is. That's what you just need to be more generous. Or organizations run by you, fueled by other atheists, buddy. So can you be a professional atheist? We don't know, but should you try? At the very least, you could do a lot of good. <laughs> if I was to suggest how to do it, um, I don't know if I would suggest doing exactly what we're doing, um, not because I fear the competition, but <laughs> mostly because uh, it's not... It, it doesn't seem easy to get money from people, all right? It's not easy. It's quite hard, and it's a lot of work, and there might be better ways to do it that I'm not aware of. And it took us, what, three and a half, four years to get to the point where we're, we're finally at an area where it maybe looks like we'll be able to continue doing this without uh, them shutting off the power? Well, look, there's not a lot of people that do it, uh, even the bigger bloggers that don't do it for, as their main source of income. Ringula doesn't do it as his main source of income. Neither, neither does Friendly Atheist. Richard Dawkins has a doesn't. day job. He has a day <laughs> job. Of all the people that are literally doing this professional thing, like you know, being a professional atheist, 
There's just me right now. Well, isn't there like guys that work for the Center for Inquiry and stuff like that? Those those associations and groups. These are the kinds of places that if you want to look to get in on an existing framework where you can be uh, compensated for for your work towards building atheism and and still ha and have a mandate and direction behind you to help you, then there are groups out there like the Humanist Association, uh, uh, several privacy groups as well. I uh, support a lot of atheistic causes. Center for Inquiry is another uh, organization. Absolutely. Uh, which is what I actually recommended to Amber when she had uh, personally messaged me because she said that she had gone to school uh, to help be a fundraiser. I'm like, you are needed immediately. It's like, that's a skill that we need. We need people with skills that decide, I want to work for this scene. I want to work towards this movement. And if, you're, and, if, and if you care about it, then all the other things are saying, well, can I make money from it? I'm like, I'm sure you can survive, and I'm sure it's going to do better. You and I, the people that want to do that, want to devote our lives to it, we have to just get better at convincing everybody else that doesn't, but that still loves what we do, to fucking start supporting us doing it. Does that make any sense? I think that's the only way. Otherwise, it is a pipe dream. Otherwise, I'm making a huge mistake, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think that covers uh, all the questions. Is there anything uh, left? Oh, no, wait, she had, a, she had a second question. Yeah, she wanted to know what you thought about the U.S. First Amendment and the use of churches as polling places. Is this worth fighting, or is it just logistics and some atheists are be being too sensitive? No, I really don't like the fact that churches are both polling stations and places where people go to, uh, go to vote. That uh, that just seems to be counterintuitive towards this whole separation thing. It, it maybe wasn't a big deal. Well, you know, it's hard to say 20 or 30 years ago it wasn't a big deal because, you know, re the religious fundamentalism and everything wasn't on such a rise as it is now. But, but it I, I would say, yeah, it's always been contentious and, and it's just not something that we think about that much anymore. Yeah. I don't know. It, it doesn't bother me. It bothers me. It and, bothers I say me. That, and I say that all of these fights are fights that we should have. With that said... Um, we're, not at a, we're not at a size where we can just pick any fight. We have to pick intelligently. You know, if, if you're a smaller group, uh, if you're, you know, Sun Tzu's Art of War, right? You're the smaller army. You pick your fucking battles, right? You're not going to just try to take the enemy head on. You're, you're going to try to take some strategic, uh, you know, deployment. So m my advice would be if, if you really want to find a, uh, a cause that is, 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 is the right one, just... What are, the, what are the causes that give us um, simultaneously advertising for people to know what we're doing? And that's really important. Uh, and also that achieves, to some degree, the goals that we want, which is to say we want to remove religious influence from all spheres of life, all of them. We want it gone. We want the irrationality of religion gone, honestly, is what we want. The way that we achieve that um, will be a peaceful means, I assure you. But we are still going to fight for that shit. <laughs> you can fight peacefully. You just have to stop being such pussies. That's really uh, what you got to stop doing. Okay, I guess that pretty much uh, sums up the show. Uh, I'd like to remind everybody that if you, in if you enjoy the podcast, we have a uh, patronage system, membership system. So for $20 a year, you get the gold membership. Then you get to enjoy uh, the shows for a whole year and the back catalog of shows as well. So. That's uh, all of the normal shows plus all of the bonus shows, one a week. And you might want to give that a thought, especially as Christmas comes up, because as at the holiday seasons, we're not going to have any new shows. We're taking the holiday season off. Uh, we may not like Christmas, but we certainly like taking a break. <laughs> but we're going to be back after after the winter solstice for uh, for more. But until then, if you're if you're just kind of like ah, I'm itching for stuff. Well, what better than uh, a membership? 
and it kind of helps us stay afloat and, and make this not such a pipe dream. Thanks for putting it that way, though, Amber. <laughs> you really put it in perspective. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> okay, well, uh, with that, my name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good atheist day, everybody. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is... I'm going to start over. I keep thinking it's a bonus it's, one. It's, it's literally lame how every single time at the beginning, the Good Atheist... Uh, I don't uh, even understand why. I it usually goes through. It usually goes through. It like, I know what the number is. I even know what the number is, but I... I Record so many motherfucking podcasts. I don't know what I'm You're going to be right half of the time. You're going to be right half the time. No, because you hesitate every time. It's so true. it's either the Good Atheist podcast or the Good Atheist bonus podcast. All right, I'm going to do it again, and I'm not going to sound retarded. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs>